0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is February 24th, which means it's the last week of Black History Month. And that is why once again, my friends, I've decided to make new black history by becoming the first black player in Major League Baseball. What? What do you mean that's been done? hundreds of times? What are you talking about? Well, I don't watch the... It's boring. Why would I watch it? Anyway, on tonight's show, we look at why black people aren't getting vaccinated. Dorsey Sloan tells you why Oprah is weak. And we meet the dog that's gonna put all of us in prison. So let's do this, people. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show.
1: From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is The Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah.
0: Here's edition. Let's kick things off with an update on the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. The day white supremacists entered the Capitol without having to get elected. Yesterday, Congress held its first hearings on what went wrong with security that day. And the testimony from the people in charge was not encouraging.
2: Former Capitol Hill security officials and the acting chief of the DC Metropolitan Police were counting the January 6th insurrection, highlighting major communication failures that led to the deadly riots. The day before the insurrection, an FBI memo explicitly warning about the possibility of violence was sent via email, but never made its way to leadership. Here's the intelligence. Be ready to fight. Congress needs to hear glass breaking, doors being kicked in, and blood from their BLM and Antifa slave soldiers being spilled. Get violent. Stop calling this a march or a rally or a protest. Go there ready for war. We get our president, or we die. I would certainly think that something as violent as an insurrection in the Capitol uh, would warrant, um, you know, a phone call or something.
0: Yeah, man, I agree with this. In fact, this was the first time in history an email should have been a meeting. Email is the least effective way to get an emergency message to anybody. It goes text, DM, message in a bottle that you throw into the ocean, and then email. And if it's really not important, the phone call. I mean, this was an attempted overthrow of the government. It's kind of important that they hear about it. I'm just saying, like if it was me, I would have sent an edible arrangement. You know how I know email isn't an effective way to get someone's attention? Because whenever you send an email, what do you have to do immediately after that? You have to send a text asking, did you get my email? The problem with email is that we just get so many. You know, it's easy to miss the one that says insurrection at the Capitol. You know, cause it might be below another email with three siren emojis like, last chance for 10% off-colored contact lenses. And I mean, I know which one's getting my attention. Ladies. But yesterday's hearing was just the beginning of a long process. I mean, President Trump incited a mob that stormed the Capitol chanting, hang Mike Pence. That's something that was super upsetting to everyone. Well, almost everyone
2: former Vice President Mike Pence is standing by his former boss. That's right, Pence told a group of conservative lawmakers yesterday he maintains a close personal friendship with the former president.
0: This is significant because of what happened on January 6th and pro-Trump demonstrators coming into the Capitol looking for Mike Pence and Donald Trump tweeting about attacking Mike Pence even during the Capitol riot. But he did not express, I'm told, any ill will towards the former president. Banks told me, I got the sense they speak often and maintain the same personal friendship and relationship now that they have for four years. Woo, staying loyal after he sent a mob to kill you? Man, that shows how committed Mike Pence is to his principles. He won't even abort a friendship. And I don't know where the line is between forgiving and being a doormat, but Mike Pence crossed it a long time ago. I mean, yeah, the Bible says to turn the other cheek, But at the same time, one of the 10 commandments is, thou shalt not be a bitch ass. I guess at this point, there's nothing that Trump can do to Mike Pence that would make Pence turn on him. They basically have the same relationship that we have with our Alexa. Ah, Alexa, I hate you. I wish you would die. I'm sorry you feel that way. Is there anything else I could help you with? And finally, an update on policing in America. One of the big problems is that police are too often called into situations where they should actually be the last resort. So many activists have said that we should find alternatives to cops as first responders. You know, maybe healthcare professionals or community members. And now the NYPD is saying, all right, I hear you, but what about robot dogs? Meet DigiDog, the newest member of the NYPD's Technical Assistance Response Unit. Yes, a robot dog that's hounding city streets, assisting its handlers in saving lives and protecting New York's finest. Dog took its first steps here in the Wakefield section of the Bronx today. The four-legged robot was reportedly responding to a home invasion, climbing the stairs of an apartment here on West 227th Street.
2: It allows the NYPD to have eyes
3: and ears and also talk to individuals in life-threatening situations. This allows them to use the least amount of force
2: necessary to resolve that situation.
0: Wow, a robot dog? What a cool way for the police to say they have too much money and should be defunded. And this robot dog comes with tons of features. It's got cameras, it's got a microphone, it's even got an extra knife that it can plant on an unarmed body, all sorts of things. But. You gotta give props to the police for how they're marketing this robot. Oh, look at our adorable dog. No, it's a cop made out of steel. Like, they can call tear gas potty smoke. It doesn't mean it's gonna sting any less when they blast you with it. It will be funny, though, to see how people try to bribe a robot police dog. Listen, officer, how about we let this ticket slide and, uh, I give you 10 minutes with my laser printer. No questions asked. And look, I'm not saying robot dogs won't ever be useful. I mean, that'd be great to send into a hostage situation. I want a million dollars and a helicopter to get me out of here. You hear me? You got- (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) What do you want? (laughs) No, I'm not taking you out. I'm doing a hostage thing. (laughs) Okay, fine. I'll take you to the end of the block and back. Okay, you got that? (laughs) All right, good boy. Come on, (laughs) come on. Good boy, yeah, look at you. But let's move on now to our main story, the coronavirus vaccine. It's the reason your grandma is now FaceTiming you from a crowded bar. Today brings some really good news. The FDA announced that a new vaccine from Johnson & Johnson has been proven effective, including against the coronavirus variants and could be hitting the streets this weekend. Plus, unlike the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, it works with one dose and doesn't need to be kept in freezers. So this vaccine is basically as low maintenance as you pretend to be on your first date. And with vaccine availability improving, more and more people are able to get their shots. And experts actually say that America will soon be giving out nearly two million doses a day. So with 330 million Americans, two million doses a day, that means the pandemic will be over in... Six? But this is still America which means not everyone is getting access to the vaccines equally. The big gap in who gets the coronavirus vaccine in the US. Information from 23 states that report COVID vaccinations by race and ethnicity shows a stark difference in the rollout.
1: Black Americans are hospitalized for COVID at almost triple the rate and are at least 1.5 times more likely to die from this virus than white Americans. But just over 5% of Americans vaccinated are black versus more than 60% who are white. Cities like Philadelphia and Chicago with a black population double or triple the percent receiving COVID vaccine. Unfortunately, in New York City, we learned that we had managed to vaccinate more non-New York City residents here in New York City than we had vaccinated black, Hispanic, and Native American New Yorkers combined.
0: Well, 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 if it isn't my old arch nemesis, racism. What are you doing here? What's that? Oh, you're pretty much everywhere? Yeah, that's that's a fair point. But this is crazy, people. According to the available data, New York has vaccinated more out-of-towners than minorities who actually live here in New York. I mean, they need to beef up the screening process. You know, like before giving someone a shot, just ask them to walk six feet on a sidewalk, and then if they stop and look up at a building to admire it, you send their ass back to Connecticut! And this isn't just a New York problem, this is an America problem. Since black people are getting sicker at a higher rate, they should be getting vaccinated at a higher rate because they need it more. It's the same reason you hand out free condoms on college campuses, not at a LARPing camp. So why are black people falling so far behind? Well, let's find out why in another installment of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. two universal truths to living in America. One, every holiday is a mattress sale in disguise. And two, the wealthier you are, the easier it is to access life's necessities. And unfortunately, that's one big reason why black people are having a hard time getting the vaccine.
3: Race and income really determine your access to resources. um, And that's no different with uh, COVID.
0: Studies show more than 30% of black adults don't have broadband internet leaving many without information online about where and how to get vaccinated. If
1: you don't have great high-speed internet you don't have a computer, how can you jump in line to make an appointment? Black residents are significantly more likely than white residents to live more than a mile from the closest vaccination facility. Researchers also found black people are less likely than whites to live near a pharmacy, clinic, hospital, or health center that can administer COVID-19 vaccines.
0: Over 50% of the Chicago black communities were so-called pharmacy deserts, low-income neighborhoods where pharmacies are far from the population and people don't have regular access to vehicles compared with just 5% in white communities.
3: San Francisco's pharmacy desert is zip code 94124. 92% of the population is black and Hispanic and there's only one retail pharmacy for the more than 35,000 people
2: who live there. Where do they go? if they don't have a personal or primary care physician?
0: And the answer in
2: many cases is there's nowhere to go.
0: That's right. Many black neighborhoods don't even have a pharmacy. There are so few pharmacies that I'm surprised Republicans haven't made them voting locations. And this is especially messed up because in most white neighborhoods, there are pharmacies everywhere. I mean, everywhere. One time I went into a Walgreens that had a CVS inside of it and It's also crazy how many people still don't even have broadband. Before America makes vaccination appointments dependent on high-speed internet, uh, maybe they should sign everyone up for high-speed internet. And then a month later, once those people are done going through all the internet porn, then they can get around to making an appointment. So if you don't have the internet to schedule an appointment and you don't have a local pharmacy to administer the shot and you don't have transportation to a vaccine distribution center, what do you do? I mean, at that point, you might as well just make the vaccine yourself. Which I tried, by the way, but I didn't have any mRNA in my house, so I just used barbecue sauce. I mean, it didn't work, but my blood tastes delicious. But for the black community, the barriers to getting vaccinated go way beyond a lack of resources. There's also a psychological barrier. Many black people are just reluctant to get the shot, because the truth is they trust the medical community less than they trust the Golden Globes. And that suspicion may seem irrational to outsiders, but trust me, it is grounded in some very real history.
2: There is, especially among the black community, a horrible history of mistreatment that has created distrust in doctors and medicine. African-Americans were experimented on, used essentially to justify the cruelty of slavery, creating science. This book from 1851, titled The Natural History of Human Species, echoed one of the most prevalent and dangerous beliefs in medicine at the time, that black people did not feel pain or anxiety.
1: The federally sanctioned Tuskegee experiment sought to examine the long-term effects of of civilists by letting infected black men go untreated with no regard to the suffering it caused.
3: There was also Henrietta Lacks, a mother of five, who in 1951 sought treatment for a tumor. She passed away later that year. Scientists, without her consent or her family's knowledge, harvested her cells for medical research.
1: The ties between race and medical treatment have lasted hundreds of years, and they're still alive in medicine today. The University of Virginia conducted a study of 200 white medical students in 2016. thought black skin was thicker than white skin. The study also revealed that some doctors think black patients feel less pain.
0: Uh, excuse me? Black people don't feel pain? Well, I guess you've never met a man named Michael Jordan. He's been crying about everything for 10 years. I mean, black people invented the blues. Nobody feels pain like black people, except for Adele. That woman has been through some shit. But this is why so many black people are suspicious of the medical community because that community has betrayed them again and again and again. And you're not gonna trust people who have betrayed you that many times. Oh, unless you're Mike Pence. But unfortunately, this mistrust actually hurts black people because these vaccines are safe. Believe me on this, white people would never let Martha Stewart get one if it was dangerous. I mean, if something ever happened to her, they would have no idea how to match their centerpieces to their napkin holders. It would be chaos. And because this anti-vaccine sentiment is hurting the black community, black leaders are now stepping in to try and get the message out through an institution that the community does trust, the church. Black churches have long been a source of guidance and strength for the community it serves. It's the reason why black clergy across the country are teaming up with medical professionals and local officials to educate and encourage people to get the COVID-19 vaccine.
1: Dr. Anthony Fauci in a virtual face-to-face with Baltimore's faith and community leaders. We need your help. Part of a strategy aimed at getting a message in to the black community.
3: On Friday, black pastors from several Boston churches received their first round of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. They're also here to educate and reassure the minority community the vaccines are safe.
2: Reverend Liz Walker says she preaches about three things, truth, love, and lowering anxiety.
1: Her focus now is spreading the truth about the vaccine. Half her congregation says they won't take it. Some believe God will save them. I always respond that yes, you should put your trust in God, but remember, God uses doctors.
0: That's right. God uses doctors. I mean, not all doctors. You know, Dr. Phil is the devil's work, but doctors who are actually doctors, well, they're doing the Lord's work. And props to people like Dr. Fauci for speaking to black churches and for not doing that thing that white people do when they visit a black church where they start talking like Martin Luther King Jr. And I can tell you that we as a people will get to herd immunity. Hey man, you can just use your normal voice. Oh, thank God. Oh, my voice was killing me. And if you ask me, Black Church is the number one place to reach black people. I mean, the only other place that would make sense is verses on Instagram and a black barbershop but that one wouldn't work because then they just get sidetracked debating which vaccine is the greatest of all time. Nah, man, listen up. Polio is the greatest vaccine of all time. The hell it is, man. What about mumps? Mumps? Man, don't bring that mumps bullshit into my shop. Look, the point is, encouraging vaccination through the church is a great idea. It's actually something that The Daily Show wants to get behind, which is why we asked Pastor Roy to help us out. Thank y'all for logging on to the Lord this morning. It
3: has come to my attention that some of y'all are looking at the COVID vaccine the way Jesus looked at Judas during the Last Supper. Suspicious. And look, I understand that the medical community has done unholy things to black people, but I'm here to tell you to put your trust in the Trinity of Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. Because if you get the Rona, Jesus can't put his hands on you he's social distancing so I want you to let Jesus and that vaccine into your soul or well, at least into your left shoulder look yeah I don't think y'all hit me. I said I want you to let Jesus and that vaccine into your soul see I need some help in here somebody get me my soldiers of the Lord. I want you to baptize yourself in the healing waters of the vaccine get your vaccine. Get your vaccine. Push out the Antichrist and let in the antibodies. Water in the wine. Vaccine in the wine.
0: Water in the wine. Vaccine in the wine.
3: I want you, vaccine atheists, to believe.
0: Preach brother.
3: Do not be led astray by false Facebook prophets. Don't listen to your Uncle Fred. He is not a doctor let the vaccination be your salvation from your isolation blessed are the immune for they shall inherit the earth from the movie theater to the gym all the way to the promised land of red lobster Open it, family, feet. Now, I ain't gonna hold y'all up. I think we have made the point. Also, I gotta wrap this up. My little boy got a clarinet lesson over Zoom. I only paid for the free 40-minute version. Uh, praise Jesus. And God bless Dr. Fauci. And I'll see you next week for the Booster shot.
0: Oh, yes. I can feel it. All right, when we come back, Dulce Sloan tells us why black women aren't as strong as you may think, and Andre Day is joining us as a guest. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. It's no secret that black women have always had to deal with negative stereotypes, but for Black History Month, Dulce Sloan looks at a positive stereotype that still has a negative impact in another episode of dulce
1: Black women, we gave you Oprah, Beyonce, and all your favorite reaction memes. I've heard people say they like their women like they like their coffee. Strong, black, and hot enough to give you second degree burns. Careful what you wish for, Darius. But the thing is, not all black women are strong, and even the ones that are strong aren't just that. We like doors open for us too, especially with someone with biceps like Michael B. Jordan abs like Michael B. Jordan, hair like Michael B. Jordan. But unfortunately, the strong black woman stereotype is ingrained in American culture. It has a long history about as old as Morgan Freeman and Betty White combined. Now you may be wondering, what is a strong black woman? It's the idea that black women are emotionally resilient naturally selfless, too proud to ask for help, and can succeed with no resources. So basically every character played by Viola Davis. The irony is the strong black woman stereotype was started by black women to combat all the negative ones. See, in the aftermath of slavery, there were really only two stereotypes of black women. You were either some sex temptress Jezebel or a mammy who was just there to smother people in her booze. In response, black suffragette, Mary Church Terrell, coined the strong black woman motto, lifting as we climb. And I get what she was going for, but lift as we climb? Even bodybuilders don't do both at the same time. You can't expect a black woman to do more than Schwarzenegger in his prime. But over time, society shrank a black woman down to just her strength. And the popular conception now is that black women can bear and overcome any birth. We see it all over our culture. In movies like The Color Purple. Oh my life I had to fight. And how can we forget Ghost? Where Whoopi Goldberg literally has to let a white man use her body to rub foreheads with his fiance. Even when black women only have one line, it's strong as hell. Move, or you will be moved. Damn, at least let her say hello. But Dulce, what's wrong with being perceived as strong? Isn't it a good thing? No, not if black women destroy their mental and physical health trying to live up to it, and not if people think black women are so strong they make them do all the work on their own. Look at Stacey Abrams. She helped Democrats win Georgia, and before you knew it, she was being asked to fix vaccine distribution, the New York subway, and Kim and Kanye's marriage. The stereotype even reaches the doctor's office. Black women are less likely to be properly diagnosed they have a much higher maternal mortality rate, and they're less likely to be believed about their symptoms and pain. So a black woman basically has to be a doctor to know everything that's going on with her body, and then convince another doctor that that's what's happening. I was in a car accident. I have contusions, lacerations, and internal bleeding. Uh, Get me a morphine drip and prep surgery stat. We'll get you a couple of band-aids and you'll be fine. What? So. The next time you see a black woman struggling at work or trying to lift a box, help her. Don't just stand there like you're about to see Wonder Woman in action. In fact, if you're in the New York area, I'm moving this week and I could use some help moving my couch, because I'll be damned if I'm going to pull my back lifting my own couch.
0: Thank you so much for that, Dulce. I really wish I could help you move, but I'm, I'm busy on whatever day that is. All right, when we come back, the multi-talented Andra Day talks about playing the legendary Billie Holiday. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with singer, songwriter, and actor, Andra Day. We talked about the legacy of Billie Holiday and her portrayal of the legend in her new movie that's just gotten her two. Golden Globe nominations. Andre Day, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> that's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I enjoy
2: it just as much as the regular Daily Show, so.
0: Good. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that, I really do. And uh, before we get any further, let's start with the congratulations that are in order. Two Golden Globe nominations, which is huge for your work on the new uh, Billy Holiday movie and, What's really impressive about it is not just the nominations. This is your debut acting role. I mean, what a way to start.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely what a way to start. (laughs) And it was almost a way to end while I was on set. (laughs) I was like, this might have taken me out. I might have had to (laughs) fire after this. But no, I I mean, now I'm definitely more balanced and I feel kind of at a healthier place. But um, yeah, it was, I mean, I didn't want to do it at first, but I'm really glad that I did and I didn't sort of I guess, self-sabotage my way out of it, because uh, it's an honor to be a part of Billie's story and legacy and to help bring the truth about her life
0: to, to the public eye. Billie Holiday people might know as the musician, but what makes this film special is you show us Billie Holiday as the civil rights icon, as this woman who is fighting against the system that is trying to shut her down. Tell me a little bit more about that story and the uh, the part of her life that a lot of people really don't know about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean. To, to put it frankly, it's the part of her life that people were never supposed to know about. People need to understand that the, the reason they know Billie Holiday as this sort of tragic drug addict, but like a great jazz singer, is because that was that was the narrative that was fed to us as, as, as a people. And, uh, but what they really need to know is that she was sort of the genesis. She was the great godmother of civil rights. She was the first m- martyr in the war on drugs. And she was singing Strange Fruit, a song about lynching in America racial mm-hmm. terror. Uh, in defiance of the government and she was integrating audiences. You know, she, she was a fighter and and doing it all on her own. We did not have the civil rights movement as we know today. and We would not have had it if it wasn't for her for her sacrifice. So she is a hero.
0: She's a hero because she went up against arguably the most powerful force in the world at, at one time and maybe even now, the United States government. You know, it's it's a really scary story. Talk me through your role and, and, and what it was like for you to play this woman who, on one hand, is this amazing icon who's performing and, and really enthralling audiences, and on the other hand, a woman who's dealing with her fears, her insecurities, and the dark world that she's a part of, whether she likes it or not.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you said that just now, whether she's a part of it or not, because one of the things I always, I, I, I hear all the time is, you know, Blue Holiday was a very complicated figure, and I'm like... <laughs> there's nothing complicated about a black queer woman trying to live free. It's complicated as her circumstances. She's in the thirties, the forties and the fifties. The entire government is using all of their force. And as you said, one of the most powerful forces and one of the most powerful figures. And mm-hmm. I think it's this stage J. Hoover, right. And one of probably the most diabolical and divisive, but you know, him, Harry J. Anslinger, the federal Bureau of narcotics, you know, the entire government's coming out to her' for singing a song about racial terror. Uh, and, and that, she lost her father to Jim Crow, right? But She was raped at 10 and was punished for being raped by a 40 year old man. Right. She was sent into a brothel, was raised in a brothel, you know, that drugs were pumped into her community. And she used that as a way to, to deal with the trauma of, of living. So there was nothing complex about her. She was beautiful and fascinating. She was in very complex circumstances. And, and so it really made me appreciate her and love her. And it was, there was a sense of urgency, you know, was, right performing this role and singing you know when I was on your show and when I was doing it in the past it was to pay homage to Billy and to pay homage to our people and and to just bring this song into a new era but on set it was very different and it was the first time I sang the song and realized this is not a beautiful song this is an ugly song it's a horrific song Mm -hmm. the bulging eyes the twisted mouth the burning flesh and I had a need for for people in the audience to stop enjoying it I didn't want them clapping I didn't right this is another song, go do something because I might die after singing this tonight. So it was definitely a different experience. Transformative,
0: really. You could have taken the easy route in playing the role that you did, but you didn't. I mean, you lost almost, what, 40 pounds to play this role. You you also took on some of Billy's um, vices. You know, you started smoking, you don't smoke. You know, you, you surrounded yourself with people who are struggling with drugs as well to understand addiction, to start to, to sort of understand what she was going through. What was the hardest part of inhabiting that side of Billie Holiday's world?
2: Uh, I mean, the hardest part, listen, it it took a toll on my family, right? Because the reality is when you're going through this and you're preparing for it, you're not going through it by yourself. So on my family, on my, on my company, you know, on my staff, on my band, on you know, everybody, you know, yes, we studying the addiction, loss of weight, took up the drinking and the smoking and and, and, um, and and other things as well too. I don't typically cuss and I'm not, for me, I've made a personal vow to be abstinent for the last like seven, almost seven years. So it, I, that's not a side that I engage in either. And so, uh, you know, it, it was definitely challenging, but I think the hardest part when I look back on it now was coming out of it. You know, I mm-hmm. lived as another human being for three years of my life. And trying to figure out who I am in this season of my life has been really, wow. really, really difficult. And I remember a moment actually on set, you know, Lee would ask me, he says, We were doing the song All of Me. And he said, throw Billy away. Now just give me Andrew and give me. And I tried and I and we got it recorded in the movie, of course, but I I I genuinely was breaking down from what you see in the film in that moment because I had to look at him and just I felt like I let him down because I was like, Lee, I don't know who the yeah, like, but sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to be cussing but that That's has right. not gone away yet. <laughs> but, um, I, I, so I'm trying to get, you know, a, a footing in, in my life now and think about who I am. But, you know, uh, God is great and it's patience and I'll get there, definitely.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. You've done an amazing job at telling the story. Um, it's no surprise that you were nominated. Um, I wish you the best of luck. And, uh... I can't wait to see what you take on after this is all done, and after you've found the new Andra for the next uh, chapter yeah. of your life.
2: Yeah, hopefully she's great. I don't know. You know, I'll <laughs> let me you know when I her. You we'll know, see how that goes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank everybody. you so
0: much, Andra. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Speak soon. The United States versus Billy Holiday will be available on Hulu on February 26th. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go. This month is Black History Month, so please consider supporting an organization called Free Black Therapy. Their mission is to connect black therapists with black and African-American individuals who lack adequate funds or health insurance so that they can be treated for free. By supporting Free Black Therapy, you're helping black people in need to get culturally competent mental health care, as well as supporting black therapists. So if you're able to help in any way, then please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and please remember to spay and neuter your police robot dogs. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show
3: weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full
0: episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more.